the James Suckling Podcast. Wine ratings, reports, interviews and more. Hey, it's great to be here with you. Um, and I've uh, been tasting some wines. We had a dinner and I've been here about a week. And I think you have a really great perspective on on Oregon and the whole thing that's happening here in wine country. Like, what's your view now and what do you think in the future for Oregon? You know, what drew me here were, were the kind of um, origin stories of, um, of people getting started in a new area, not unlike um, in the late 70s when I was in Napa. So it was sort of like seeing um, seeing the future again, so to speak, or looking back and reliving that uh, intimacy and that collegial qual- uh, quality that a uh, small group of winemakers would uh, get together and, and um, all try to float the, the boats, you know, with uh, com- uh, compassionate work that uh, was shared quite, quite intimately. So um, that's, uh, that's been something that I think has been a key to bringing Oregon along and raising the bar and viticulturally in particularly and, and um, refining the, the Pinot Noir uh, skill set, I think is, if you will, you know, just more experience with it um, over, over the last couple of decades. So I think the consistency that we're seem to be achieving these days is probably in part to um, better viticulture and, and uh, more experience in winemaking. And I think you'd have to give a nod to something about the weather changing, you know, and uh, that um, bit of warming just adds a little more um, security. It's also about um, knowing that Oregon is never going to compete on the world stage as anything but a small producer of high quality wines because we don't get the yields that uh, other sunny climates can can do and, and uh, make inexpensive wine economically. So um, with that in mind, we've learned probably a hard lesson, but one that's serving us well consistently now about cropping the wines, the vines uh, conservatively so that they have a chance to ripen in our relatively limited uh, season still um, every year consistently in high quality. And that's taken the wow out of uh, historical uh, variations in Oregon vintages. And I think they're more like this now where the variation is more interest than a really a worry about whether it's a failure of a vintage or a super success. So um, I think that's um, where the future is in terms of a reliable consistency. And, uh, and, and the thing that excites me the most is um, taking a deeper dive into all the sub terroirs here um, and learning about where the, if you don't mind the indulgence, the kind of grand cruise of the new world might be. And I think there's some here to, to find and explore and to demonstrate. And that's going to keep me busy as long as I've got left on the planet. So, so you don't think you found the grand cruise yet? Uh, well, I think we have our hands on, on some that, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, but I'm a uh, conservative in the sense that uh, I have to convince others through the demonstration of the wines in the glass, right? So that can take a while. But how can you, one thing that I noticed, there, there is a very high general quality level for um, Oregon Pinot Noir, but there's not a lot of, there's a real, um, let's say, baseline. And for people people to break above that, um, it doesn't seem to happen that much. There's, there's like maybe 10, 15, 20 producers that do that on a um, regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, how can more people like break the ceiling of quality, like to make the, the real top quality wines that they can with this unique uh, climate and, um, and terroir? Well, the great wines are always a combination of a lot of uh, contributing factors, a great piece of land, skill, 
um, both in the winery, but uh, but especially in the, on the farming end. And um, and I think a ownership, and sometimes that's one and the same winemaker, farmer, owner, but not always. And so depending on what the ownership's like, where the economics are, whether or not you're willing to kind of give the uh, economic commitment to grow smaller crops and walk away from poor vintages or be more selective uh, so that you're always delivering the highest um, quality wine possible. Do you, but do you think that also still in the U.S. market, there's, you know, people see Oregon wine at a certain uh, level of quality and a certain uh, price and that people don't really understand that actually Oregon is, well, in my opinion, right up there with some of the best in Burgundy and um, other pla- Pinot Noir or Chardonnay places in the world? Um, well, I'm glad to hear that you say that, and it's, certainly it's a conviction of mine and, and uh, many others here working hard. Uh, um, young Chris is, you know, has all those uh, wines as benchmarks, you know, the, the wines of Burgundy, and we really do believe that we can make wines quite comparable. Um, uh, having been in the business for 40-some years, it takes a while to convince the market in the world of that's the case. And, and of course, you have a, a pulpit that uh, helps uh, kind of spread that word and... and uh, and it's a third-party endorsement, which always helps too. So, um, I think it's possible. I think it's going to be um, being rewarded for it and pushing um, pushing the envelope. Um, that's um, still to find. I think the the sites that will consistently deliver. Um, I think we have uh, a f- three of them that we we're lucky to uh, have a hold of, and uh, we're looking forward to um, the young vines that are coming into maturity. Here at Mineral Springs, we have twenty-year-old vines now. That's just you know getting into their sweet spot, and uh, but in our other sites, the vines are young or still to be replanted. So there's some some decades ahead. But it's but that's not only for Oregon. Like in in my opinion, for Pinot Noir or Chardonnay. Sure, we know in America some let's say Grand Cru places for Cabernet, but Pinot Noir it's still not like totally agreed yet i mean there's not really i I would say it's 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 just as much here as anywhere else i don't disagree with you you know but i was kind of part of that exploration in napa yeah Um, you know um, carneros and also in sonoma coast or even russian river sure um with the cabernets there it was you know um 25 or 30 years ago it was like spotswood's going to be one of those but they'll have to prove it. And Schaefer and Araujo or the Isley Vineyard, for instance, clients of mine that um, yeah. we were convinced that that was, that was the goal, the uh, ambition, if you will. Um, but di- I, but Isley, for example, yes. Tokolan, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, a f- you know, because of, of course, historically too, all the uh, great uh, Madavi Reserve Cabernets, yeah. you know, Opus. So there was that history. But I was thinking today, I was talking to, um, my associate and Nathan who's 25 and I'm just like hey you know people talk about it's going to take decades but actually today things move more quickly and we have we're more open-minded and and um, possibly we can find and create and not create but really um, confirm these great Grand Cru uh, vineyards that I would say um, in America yeah, well, that's a really exciting prospect. I hope I live long enough to, yeah, to be part of that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.